Okay, good morning again. Glad to have you all back. Today we're going to be continuing the Momentum series. Today we're moving from Create Momentum, Living Jesus' Teaching, to Build Momentum, Leading People to God. So as we talked last week, do a little recap. If we could put that last slide up. So we were talking about momentum. And momentum is a force, right? And now who we were before God, when we were living for ourselves in our own kingdom, that we were moving in our own mass and our own velocity, to our own direction and our own speed. And as we come to be saved, as we come to be baby Christians, young Christians, growing in Him, it's still me plus God in our velocity, right? Because we're still trying to fit God into our lives. We're still going about our own way, but fitting Him in now. And what we're trying to grow to was moving into His velocity with Him. So we can start moving in His kingdom velocity. And what we're trying to get to today is building kingdom momentum by not just me and God, but adding people and moving in His speed at His direction. So as we were talking about creating momentum last week, we talked about how it's important to be in the Word, to understand that He is sovereign and that all truth comes from this. And that we have to start taking baby steps of faith to start seeing his promises fulfilled. And that as we do that, our faith will grow in him and that we'll be more prepared to step out even greater and greater and greater. But another thing is, as you go through this book and you start seeing his commandments, you start living out his teachings, you start to realize this book is all about relationships, right? It started with God and man and that relationship. And then very soon after creation, he also created woman. And then it became our relationship with other people. And expanding his kingdom by having dominion over the earth. Right? So now it's moved from just him to other people. And these are the two greatest commandments as we continue to read, right? Love God and love others. But it goes deeper than this. It's not just what he'd like you to do. It's a command. Right? And what we have to understand... I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. (laughs) So we're moving from love God to love others. So now as we start to discuss loving others, it brings me to what happened to our family here on Thursday. So we had just gone to a conference this past week. And Thursday morning, Diane and I woke up. We still hadn't packed. We needed to feed the kids. We needed to clean the house. We needed to do all these things in order to get ready to go, right? So we didn't want to leave a a messy house for Nona, even though I'm sure she's used to it. (laughs) We wanted to have it cleaned up a bit. So we wake up, and everything seems good. Go downstairs, and my son's there going, uppy. Remember last week, uppy. And if I say no, it starts this whole two-year-old train wreck, right? So instead of starting off that day like that, we've got to get moving. So I pick him up, and now it's, all right, let's get him fed. Let's get the next thing done. So I'm asking him what he wants to eat. You want eggs? Do you want oatmeal? It's no, no, no. So I show him the eggs. He starts getting upset. No eggs, no eggs. And and we're going through this revolving door for probably 30 minutes. And I finally get smart and say, let's open the fridge. So I open the fridge, and he points to the first thing he sees, which is the jelly. And I'm like, I'm not feeding my two-year-old jelly first thing in the morning. I'm not doing that to Nona. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> so I start thinking, like, what, what else can I give him? So I'm like, no, you can't eat jelly, son. And now he's upset. He's throwing another fit. 
and he's crying to my shoulder, and I'm walking around. I'm trying to show him the pan and the eggs, and he sees the, the tortillas that I left out the night before. So the night before, we got home late, and he was still hungry. So we weren't going to set him to bed hungry, right? So I made him a quesadilla. And what we usually do is we cut it in half, and we cut little triangles, and we give him sour cream so he can dip in, and he loves it. So I make the quesadilla. I cut it in half. I cut the triangles. I put it on his plate, and he starts throwing little pieces of quesadilla across the room because he didn't want it cut. He's freaking out. This is the life of a two-year-old. <laughs> so I had the other half, and I'm like, okay, let's try this. So I give him the other half, and he was happy. It was whole enough. So he ate that, and everything was good. So fast forward to this morning. And again, I don't know if he sensed that we were leaving or what, but it was just one of those days. And people with kids, you understand. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm going through them, and it's another half hour to try to figure out if we're going to do one tortilla with everything on it folded up, or if we're going to do two sandwiches or two tortillas sandwiched together, and that's where we ended up. He didn't want the half. He wanted the whole. So I, I get this thing prepared. I start spreading the jelly. He's excited. I put the peanut butter on. He starts freaking out because he didn't want peanut butter. But we got past that. And then Diane looks at the tortilla, and she's like, oh, great. I'll cut it. And she goes to cut it, and I'm like, no. No. I'm like, I cut his quesadilla yesterday. You'd have thought I blew up the house. Like, it was not good. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to avoid World War III. And we're going to leave this thing whole. And he was happy, and he picked it up, and he started eating. And everything was good, and we were able to move on to the next thing. And I got to say, moms, I give you so much more credit than I even gave you before. I always said that um, I understood that being a housewife was a job, and that it wasn't less than my job going to work. And I really meant it. But now that I've lived through the boxing match and continually see how it goes, I have so much deeper respect for you. But the point of all this is, is that I could have done what I normally do, and that was dismiss him from the start. Like picked him up, said hello, told him we we're going to eat, and he didn't want eggs, but we we're going to do eggs anyways. I can't carry you anymore. I got things to do. I got I to gotta rifle through this to get to what I need to do. And that, I got to be honest, it happens a lot. And it happens to all of us, right, where we feel that our checklist and what we need to do is more important than that person standing in front of us and what they need from us. But this day I decided, no, Lord, I'm going to lean on you. I asked God for help, and I said, I want to be present with my son. Because at some point reading through this book, we have to understand that God's plans are bigger than self. It's bigger than my personal relationship with God and fixing my life. But it's about his will for our life, his purpose for our life. And if we look at John 20, 21, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to read the verses of the day. Let's do that first and then we'll pray. I jumped right in. <laughs> So we're actually going to be reading from John 15 today. If I can get there. So John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray real quick. Lord God, as we rest on that passage, as we think about that passage, let it, let it transform us. Let it stick with us. Let us not blow through this passage and understand what you have commanded us to do. And Lord, let us faithfully step into that commandment to love others as you love us and give other people the love that you have shown us, that we now know who you are and that let us love others in the same way. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so the point of that story about my son was to get to the point of understanding that life is bigger than self. Okay, it's, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than me. And if we look at John 20, verse 21, it says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is a command. Jesus was sent this way. We are also sent this way. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. And this is the beautiful thing, right? He gives us the command to go and make disciples, to do something bigger than ourselves. But if we go back to the end of, in John 20, 21, he says, peace be with you first. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He, said, he, he proclaims peace over this mission. That's a wonderful thing, because the good news is, we don't have to figure this out. We're not making this up as we go along. Jesus already demonstrated what we're supposed to do. He already showed us how we're supposed to spread his message, how we're supposed to gather people, how we're supposed to love on people through discipleship. He's calling us to this personal mission of discipleship, and what we need to understand is that discipleship is a relationship. It's not just giving somebody a track or giving them a piece of the gospel and saying, Awesome. Well, you want to say the sinner's prayer? Great. Be on your way. It's forming a relationship with somebody. And what we have to understand is that people want to belong before they become. Right? I see a lot of people, whether you're a Christian or not, when you have a point to get across, you talk, or we, excuse me, we talk at people. The world talks at people. Look what I have for you. Look at this. Look at that. You should be doing it this way. And Christianity in America has fallen in this trap, right? Of trying to fix people before we know people. Before we have a relationship with people. Oh, you have a problem? The Bible says this. And I just do this every day and it works. So you should just do it. There's no relationship there. And how can they trust that? They don't know who God is. Because no one has showed them who God is. In John 15, verse 12, it says, If you love, one, or it says to love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We need to love on people. We need to meet people where they are at. We need to invite them into our space or somehow get invited into their space where we could be real with people, where we can listen to them, see worth in them, make them feel valued, make them feel like they're person, not just speaking at them, not even just preaching at them, 
but forming a relationship that allows it to sink in. It's a relationship that's started with an invitation. We're expected to show people the love of God, not come at people with judgment. And this is demonstrated very well in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. And this is where he calls Levi. Mark chapter 2, it says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I want to set this up a little bit for you. I think Ken did this recently and talked about the tax collectors in this time frame. But in this period of time, Jerusalem, Israel itself, was occupied by Rome. Rome had taken over Israel, and as such, they were taxing the people to pay for that occupation. And there were people, there were Israelites, who became tax collectors who were taking this tax from the people. But it wasn't just the tax that the Romans wanted. They were taxing above and beyond and making themselves wealthy off of this tax. So they were traitors to their own people. And the Israelites hated tax collectors because you're one of us. Why are you doing this to us? You're worse than the Romans are. We don't like paying them taxes, but now you're adding on top of it? And these people had to sell off possessions or work extra jobs or, or whatever they had to do, but it was a struggle. And if they didn't pay these taxes at the rate that was set by the tax collector, the Romans would come and repossess their, their possessions. They would take over. They would lose their house. They would lose their job. They would lose their boat if they were a fisherman. And they would be out on the streets. So Levi or Matthew was a person that was marginalized. He was outcasted for what he chose to do with his life. Yes, it was his own choosing. And that's what I want us to understand is that sometimes the relationships that God is sending us to are people who've made their own bad choices. But these are people who are on the fringes of society that are never going to be looked at. And what did Jesus do? There he was, preaching to a church. There was a body of people gathered, right? And he was teaching them. And these are the people who were seeking him, who were listening to him. And he looked out, and he saw Matthew, the tax collector, the person who nobody wanted to be around. And he went up to him, and he said, Follow me in front of everybody. John 15, verse 13 says, there is a point there. It says, greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did in this moment. Jesus is rising up in this, right? He's becoming a prominent figure. And what does he do? He turns everything upside down in front of his disciples, in front of all these Israelites who are, who are looking at him as this great king, as this great teacher, and he says, I want him. He saw purpose and value in Matthew's life, and he didn't care what other people thought about it because he knew what that person was capable of. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he thought of it as a lesson to his disciples. Don't just go after the people that look like you, that talk like you, like you. But we need to grab everybody that's in your path. And he went after Matthew. And the beautiful thing is that potential he saw came true. He wrote one of the books of the Bible. He's still saving people every day. 
That wasn't a one-off. That wasn't a, I'm going to call this guy. He's going to save this person and that's it. No, he became a prominent figure. He gave him purpose. He gave him life because he loved him. And that's what God is calling us to do. Not just to pick the people that we choose, not just to preach at people, but to have a relationship with people, to go after everybody that's in our path and to show them the love of God as he loves you, the life that he's given you. Jesus loves people where they are at with forgiveness and grace, not judgment, not condemnation. He's asking us to lead people to him by being like him. And that's the thing, right? So we, we figure this out. We understand, okay, it's about relationships. It's not just, it's just gathering who we want. It's not just you know, giving somebody a piece of information and then walking away. It's okay, we have to do a relationship, but now what? This, this gets sticky, right? Now, now what do I do with them? The focus should always be on God. The focus should always be God. He's already demonstrated what to do, right? See, the world's mission is you have to know what to say. You have to know what to think. You have to be taught. Then you can be shown the mission, and then you're invited. And Jesus flips it around. He invites them, and then he shows them the kingdom. He teaches them the kingdom. And then he sends them out. But they were already invited. They're already a part of it. And it's that demonstration that's important, right? Like I said, it's not just trying to fix people. It's not just showing people what they need to do, but walking with them. Walking with them. Praying with people. Praying with other people in front of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's sitting down with scriptures. The whole point of living out Jesus' teaching was getting in the book, right? Well, the best way to show somebody how to live like God is to walk them through the passage. Sit down with them. Grab a passage. Read it with them. Explore it with them. Guide with them. Dig in together. Just as you needed him to do that to you through somebody else, he's calling us to do the same thing. And even now as a Christian, there are days that we struggle, right? Where we still fall in and where we still need him. And we still have to lean on God. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. He is the one who transforms you. He is the one that converts to him. He's the one that harvests for himself. He gathers for himself. So as we still need to lean on him, what makes us think that we can teach people about him on our own? We still need to lean on him. The focus should always be on God. We need to lead people to him. And the fourth point about all this is there are no accidents in the kingdom because people aren't accidents. People are not accidents. He called you in your situation, your emotional, physical situation where, where, where you were at in your sin and in, in your issues, and he called you to life. But he also called you where you were, where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you go out to dinner, where you frequent. This is the mission field that God has called you to. There are no accidents. People aren't accidents. Those people that you run into every day who need God, 
That's who God is calling you to. We have to start seeing the potential and the value of people where we are. Because that's how we're going to push back on the darkness. That's how we're going to start spreading kingdom momentum, to build momentum for his church. That's what he's asked us to do. Go, therefore, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. But it started at home. You were chosen for a purpose. We need to start walking in it. It's that same thing with Mark, right? In the book of Mark with Matthew. He chose Matthew for a purpose. And look who followed him. He had connections with sinners and tax collectors. So more super lost people got saved through him that would not have gotten saved if he wasn't chosen. Jesus knew what he was doing when he called him. And what I urge you to do is to stop praying for God to do something for or to you and to start praying for God to do something through you. That's what his will is. It says, ask anything in my name, it will be given to you if it's along with his will. You praying for yourself, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we need to start adding prayers for other people, for our communities, for our families, for our coworkers, for the people that live around us. That he would move through us because that's his will for our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this gathering of people that have gathered here today, Lord God. I thank you for your message. I thank you for the truth in this message, Lord. I pray that hearts were clear and were able to receive you. That people can accept this mission with love, knowing how much you love them and are hungry to spread that love to others. Or they would start making relationships with people that need you and that your kingdom would flourish. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.